Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Some years ago, uh, when I was uh, listening to an American preacher um, on a digital recording, <clears throat> he said something I remembered as a principle. It's quite important and profound. It was this, that when the purpose of a thing is not known, when the purpose of a thing is not known, abuse is inevitable. When the purpose of a thing isn't known, abuse is inevitable. <clears throat> so, for instance, if you gave your um, iPhone 12 Pro to your two-year-old um, son to play with on the floor, you should not be surprised if he uses it as a hammer. Because when the purpose of a thing is not known, abuse is inevitable. My father came home from the war in 1945. I was two and a half years old. My mother has told me that he, he handed to me to play with two watches, which I promptly decreated, <coughs> deconstructed and reduced to the level of a few parts. I've sometimes wondered why he would give me two watches that he brought home from the war. And it's only this week that it's occurred to me he might have taken them off the, the bodies of dead enemy soldiers. So I, I feel a little bit better about those watches now. But um, <clears throat> when, when the uh, purpose of the thing is not known, abuse is inevitable. I think it's a bit like that with the Christian church. <clears throat> a true church is a group of people who gather together around the word of God um, and uh, believe the true gospel and practice uh, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper and who love one another, love God, and love one another, that's a true church. But 
what's it for? What's its purpose? What's the nature and purpose of Emmanuel Epsom? Or Ching Baptist or the, the King's Church in Chessington? Because if you don't, if you're not careful, and if you don't really understand the the value, the purpose of the church, then you might abuse it. There's the church a supermarket where I get my weekly spiritual groceries. Is it a spiritual hospital I make use of when I feel spiritually sick? Is it a motorway service station I pop into uh, uh, to relieve myself from the tedium of a long journey? What is the church? Well, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is a glorious description <clears throat> of what the church is and what it's for. And we all need to grasp this quite clearly and, and fundamentally because when the purpose of, purpose of a thing is not known, abuse is inevitable. <clears throat> Let me give you just a couple of examples of this before I get into the meat of this passage. Just take a look if you've got your Bible there at the latter part of Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 20 to 23. Speaking about God, he exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, <clears throat> far above every ruler and authority, uh, far above power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under Christ's feet and appointed him as head over everything. That's pretty comprehensive. As head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. That's an astonishing thing to say that God um, has this immense uh, sense of the value <clears throat> of the church. And just another example from chapter five, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word and that he might present to himself, he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy <clears throat> and blameless. <clears throat> now, last week, uh, Pastor Nigel described the blessings that come our way, the value of the blessings that come our way through the grace of God. We are chosen in Christ to be adopted into God's family, adoption. Uh, and we are redeemed by the work of Jesus Christ in dying on the cross for us. And we are given a hope of a future resurrection and a future inheritance. Now we're going to revisit the chapter again today, but this time, rather than thinking about the, the, the immense blessings that God has bestowed upon us, I want us to think today about the value of the church to God, the value of the church to God. Well, three things, obviously three things. First one is the church is the focus of the Father's purposes. The church is the focus of the Father's purposes. Verses three to six, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
it's pretty hard to get your mind around this almost unbelievable principle. When God the Father created the universe, when he made the earth and everything in it, uh, and as he has continued to sustain the universe and the world uh, throughout history, he did it because he had his eye on the church. It was for the church. It was about the church. It was with the church. He, he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. There's a, an interesting description of God's love for the Old Testament church in Deuteronomy chapter 32, Deuteronomy 32, 9 to 11. It says uh, this is how God uh, viewed the Old Testament church, the people of Israel. He found him in the desolate land, in a barren howling wilderness. He surrounded him, cared for him, and protected him as the apple of his eye. He watched over his nest like an eagle and hovers over his young. He spreads his wings, catches him, and carries him on his feathers. You know, Ephesians is saying that God's affection for the church is the same as his affection for Israel in the Old Testament. God chose Israel as the heart of his purposes, and he's done the same for the church, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the earth. See, the church isn't an afterthought. It's not a purely human construct. It's not simply a product of evolutionary accidents. The church was conceived in the purposes of God and at the core and heart of the purposes of God before the universe was created. It's at the heart and core and at the fringes of the purposes of God for his creation. Now it's a big ask, I think, to believe that Emmanuel Epsom, along with every true church, is to be understood in these terms. And we can all return to Stamford Green School, park in the car park, walk through that door, shake hands with Andy, get a coffee from Maggie, sit down in a school hall surrounded by a motley crew of human beings. It's hard to, to see that thing as the apple of God's eye, but it is. And if you fail to know the purpose of a thing, you might abuse it. The church, Emmanuel Epsom included, is the focus of the Father's purposes. Amazing thing. Second thing is <clears throat> the church is the focus of the son's passion. The focus of the son's passion. Well, verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood. That's Christ's blood. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. <clears throat> when Israel was uh, enslaved in Egypt, God showed his love for them by redeeming them from that slavery, by the shedding of the blood of lambs on the night of the Passover. He delivered them from his own judgment by redeeming blood. He, he brought them out into freedom and he settled them into an inheritance, the land of promise. 
And there's a strong echo of that in this verse. Jesus, the Lamb of God, he's the Lamb of God. He goes to the cross, he sheds his blood, he takes away the judgment that sin deserves, and he redeems his people. In him we have redemption. As, as it says later in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The great creator of the universe gives himself to the death of the cross to redeem the members of Emmanuel Epsom from sin and death and give us an eternal and incorruptible inheritance. That was his purpose in dying for the church. I don't remember my parents being unhappy much. I just remember one very, very sad episode at a time of financial desperation. My father secretly, without telling anybody in the family, my father pawned his wedding ring to feed his family. It ceased to be his temporarily and became the possession of the pawnbroker. Somehow my mother found out she was furious uh, when she found out and she worked her socks off standing at an industrial knitting machine to raise enough money to go and buy it back. <clears throat> we called it um, redeeming it from the hand of the pawnbroker to take it out of the possession of, his, of the pawnbroker and to restore it to its rightful place. That's a picture, a little picture of redemption. And for my mother, it became a matter of supreme and urgent importance for her, which I didn't quite understand at the time, of course, but I do now. Christ redeemed his church by shedding his blood on the cross in order to, as it says here, give us forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he freely lavished upon us, freely lavished upon us. It became a matter of supreme importance an urgency for the Son of God to redeem the church. The church is the focus of the Father's purposes and the focus of the Son's passion. See, when you neglect the church by your foolish behaviour, when you neglect the church by your foolish behaviour, or when you harm her by, the, by your actions and words, or when you undermine her with your accusations and your moaning and groaning, you are perhaps behaving as though you don't know the purpose of the church. When the purpose of a thing is not known, abuse is inevitable. The father chose her and the son died for her. And the third thing is church is the focus of the father's purposes. The church is the focus of the son's passion. And thirdly and finally, the church is the locus of the Spirit's presence, the location, the locus of the Spirit's presence, verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, a down payment guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. <clears throat> My version of the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a down payment. Now we're all familiar, most of us are familiar with the down payment. You're buying a house, 
in, in Chessington for £500,000, uh, the seller wants an assurance that your willingness to buy is real and serious. So you give over 50k as a down payment. <clears throat> My mother and father's first house cost £800. <laughs> it's hard to imagine, isn't it? You give them five fifty thousand pounds or something like that as a down payment it's a serious statement of intent it's saying i give you this as an earnest that i will pay the rest when everything's completed it's a promise now the gospel the gospel of jesus christ is essentially a promise it's a promise that god makes in jesus it goes something like this if you believe in my son, you will never perish, but will have eternal life. It's a promise. If you believe in my son, you will never perish, but you'll have eternal life. Eternal life is the inheritance that Pastor Nigel spoke about last Sunday. It's that glorious future that is coming when Christ restores all things to their proper beauty and glory in a new creation. Oh, the believers of Epsom, Emmanuel Epsom, are inheriting that future. It's a promise. God makes that promise in the gospel. And he makes the down payment, an earnest, a pledge, a statement of intent. He's saying, I'm serious about this promise. I give you the presence of my Holy Spirit. His presence in you now is a clear statement that the new creation belongs to you. The spirit is in you and the new creation belongs to you right now. And the spirit is the down payment. I think it's another lovely echo of the Exodus story from, uh, from Egypt as the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea and entered the wilderness on the way to the promised land. There was a cloud accompanying them. It was a pillar of fire by night, it was a pillar of cloud by day. They could look at that cloud and say, the presence of that cloud is God's assurance that he will lead us all the way to the promised land, to the inheritance. No other people on earth enjoyed that extraordinary privilege. Now, on the day of Pentecost, that pillar of fire came in small versions onto the church gathered in Jerusalem. Tongues as of fire resting on each of them. The Holy Spirit came in that form as a kind of um, picture that what God had done in the pillar of fire by day, by night, and the pillar of cloud by day, what he'd done for the Israelites, he was now going to do for his church. But this time the Spirit was not going to hover over the camp. He was going to enter the experience of ordinary men and women who are believers. Well, we may not have tongues of fire, but we do have the Spirit. Every true Christian has been born anew by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some of the Puritans called it the life of God in the soul of man. Well, collectively, we are a people in whom the Spirit lives. And he's the guarantee that we will be together in a new heavens and a new earth. Well, my friend, that's, that's how important the church is to God. 
he sends his spirit to live in every true church to bless the ministry of preaching to rebuke us to encourage us to teach us as we pass through the desert to a better world it's not a good idea to behave in such a way as to sabotage that precious thing in which God's Holy Spirit lives. If the purpose of a thing is not known, abuse is inevitable. And please let's learn again and again to understand the purpose and value of the church. We'll find out in Ephesians that it's the temple in which God lives. It's the bride for which Christ died. It's the family over which God is a father. It's the apple of his eye. It's the focus of the father's purposes. It's the focus of the son's passion and it's the locus, the location of the spirit's presence. Let me just close by um, repeating the first verse of a Charles Wesley hymn. When I was in theological college, um, the course was four years long. So, but at the end of every year, another bunch of young men would go out of the college into the work of the ministry. And uh, we would gather in a big room and we would shake hands with the, the, these guys. The ones who were leaving would, would go around the whole college shaking hands with each man in turn. And as they did so, we were singing this hymn from Charles Wesley, Captain of Israel's Host and guide of all who seek the land above. Beneath thy shadow we abide, the cloud of thy protecting love. Our strength, thy grace, our rule, thy word, our end, the, the glory of the Lord. And that's what we are. We're a band of brothers and sisters passing through this world to a new inheritance. And the thing that we belong to is the most precious thing to God, to his son, Jesus Christ, to God, the Holy Spirit. Let's make sure that we know the purpose of this thing. Amen.